are continuing in our topical messages for the month of August, taking a break from our book studies for this month to look at this idea of 860, the theme of 860, uh, which derives from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60. It's during Solomon's prayer. It says that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God. There is no other. The dedication of the temple was to bring attention to the glory of God. And then as we studied a couple weeks ago, the temple, you can't find one today, a physical temple in Jerusalem, but we are the temple of God, the churches, and that tells, it tells us that in the book of 1 Corinthians. And as we are the temple of God, then our goal with our lives is the same as Solomon's temple was, and that is to bring glory to God. I was actually scrolling through my um, notes on my phone from several years ago trying to eliminate some different notes, and I came across something that I wrote almost two years ago. It says this, the splendor, remember Solomon's temple was incredibly ornate, overlaced with gold, okay? It shone, it shined brightly, shone brightly, whatever the right English is there. Um, it, it was bright, and, uh, and so it was splendiferous. <laughs> I write better than I speak. Here's what I wrote. The splendor of Solomon's temple was in its ability to reflect the glory of the Lord. That's our splendor as well. The splendor of the temp Solomon's temple was in its ability to reflect the glory of the Lord. That's our splendor as well. We are now the temple. And so we're looking at how we can take this 860 theme and invest it and incorporate it in all different aspects of our lives. Last week we looked at Church 860. What does it look like for a church to embrace the 860 theme and live it out that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God? This week we're going to look at Marriage 860. And I know for some of you that's like, okay, well, that I'm not in that boat. I'm not in that ship. Just hold on just a second. I think the message will be relevant to everybody. We'll tie it all back together here toward the end. But the, the question would be, what does a... What does a marriage look like that is living out the 860 verse does that mean we're moving to India all right honey pack your stuff sell everything that ain't nailed down let's go we're moving to India to be a missionary and we're gonna live so that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God that's what our marriage is gonna look like well am I are you open to that if the Lord would have you do that it might not it might just mean going to work tomorrow morning and living where you're at. Does it mean that we have to go door to door and knock on every door and pass out tracts and say, this is our marriage and me and my honey and we're going to go, this is how we do sharing Jesus? Well, it might. But it might mean taking your neighbor a meal when they're down or coming around them. <laughs> Does it mean no fun? And I'm talking marital fun here. No, it doesn't mean that either, necessarily. How do we create a marriage that is biblical and so attractive that we have an opportunity to tell people about God? That's what it is to have an 860 marriage. We want to create an opportunity by our marriage to tell people about a God who wants to meet with them. We need to understand that marriage is God-ordained. 
people that is on trial now in our country. Marriage is God-ordained, not government-ordained. God is the one who put the sacrament together. In fact, it is the oldest sacrament there is. From the creation of human beings, marriage has been sacred. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2. I know I haven't told you, told you where to go yet. Primarily, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 5, but we're going to begin in the second page of the Bible. If you've read through Genesis, if you started the Bible in the year, surely you got to Genesis chapter 2 because that was the first day. Generally, Bible in the year, January 1st is Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So you've read Genesis 2, even if you, your commitment didn't last past January 1st. Danny's laughing because it, he's been there, right? I've been there. I've been there. I've done it. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. This is in this is the story of creation and how everything came together. Genesis 2:18. It says, "And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him." Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. This is important. Remember this for later, too. Then the rib uh, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, and I love the way Gail Irwin reads this. Gail Irwin's a guy that's been around Calvary Chapel for a long time. He's a great orator. And this is now bone of my bones. <laughs> and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. <laughs> Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. So that answers the fun question right there, in my opinion. Uh, since God ordained marriage, hear this, since God ordained marriage, God gets to define marriage. It's his sacrament. It's He's the one that instituted it. He gets to define what marriage is, and he does that here in Genesis chapter 2. A man leaves mom and dad and is joined to his wife. One man, one woman for all of their lives. That's marriage. They become one flesh. So that God instituted what marriage is. Okay, now... Let's look at what Paul has to say through the Ephesian letter to, to help us understand what, who we are inside of that marriage. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Or at the end of your Bible. You guys know the Galatians eat popcorn? That's how, you remember the, that's how you remember the four books of the Bible that in a row there after the Corinthians. 
Galatians eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians eat popcorn. Okay, there you go. We're going to begin in verse 21. It's in the middle of a sentence, so let me back up a little bit. Um, let's look at 17. Everybody got it? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Isn't that what we want? We want to understand what the will of the Lord is, okay? Do not be drunk with wine, which in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in, uh, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the phrase we want to hold on to, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So as we begin to look at who we are in a biblical marriage, the thing that Paul says to everyone who would consider themselves a Christian is we submit to one another in the reverence of the Lord and the fear of God. We need to recognize that God in his infinite wisdom has established order within the body of Christ. God is orderly. That's part of his nature. And we are to, in our humility, walk in submission to his order. Military life creates rank and file. There's something beautiful about the organization of the military. Generals, colonels, majors, captains, sergeants, privates. Levels of different rank, and the, the, rank, uh, res the rank below respects the ranks that are higher, or at least they're supposed to. <laughs> to not respect the rank above you is known as mutiny. You're thrown in the brig. You're thrown in, in, in the, you know, the military police come and take care of you if you don't follow rank and file. So within the body of Christ, we then recognize that God has put various authorities over our lives and that gives us an opportunity to submit to those authorities as well. What, where are some different authorities that we see? Well, we see church authority. Uh, it's given to us in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, government leaders. Uh, our bosses, uh, our Monday through Friday, you know, taskmasters, or whatever days you work. Um, and then also within family, God has established an order to things. Listen to this. This makes sense once you hear it. This is a truth. A person who is submitted under another person is not proof that they are less intelligent or less talented in the same way that a private may be smarter or more talented than a general. Make sense? Just because you're submitted doesn't mean you're inferior. You need to hold on to that truth. Humility and submission go hand in hand. When we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, like James would tell us to do, when we walk in humility, then we can readily and joyfully submit to the authorities that God has placed in our lives. It's when we think we're better than we are, which is pride, and pride is based in greed. It's when we think that we're better than we are, that we deserve better than we have, that's when we're not able to do what God has asked us to do. Okay? 
So that's the groundwork. Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay. Got a lot of the room is going to have trouble with the next verse. Maybe. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. God has established an order for the family life. And the first command, the first call is to the wife that she would walk in humility and submit herself to the authority of her own husband. Notice it does say of her own husband. It's not that women are subject to men. It is that a wife is subject or submitted to her own husband in humility. That she would walk in humility and submit herself to the authority of her own husband. When God created the animals, the animals were not suited to be a helper to Adam because they were not created in the image of God. Adam was created in the image of God. Man was. And so in order to create a helper who was suitable, he had to make her of the same material. So she too then is created in God's image. So he says, wives, submit. What is that? exactly mean? It means that God's order for life is that the husband is the head of the household, which gives him both authority and responsibility. That means God holds the husband accountable for the condition of the family. Wives submit means that a wife is to humble herself and allow her husband to fulfill the role that God has given him to be the spiritual leader of the household. That means that a wife's role within a biblical marriage is to be the helpmeet of the husband. That's the word paraclete. That's what's given in Genesis chapter 2, the one who is found to be a suitable helper. It's interesting to know when Jesus speaks of sending the Holy Spirit, he uses the same word. It's one who comes alongside. That's the idea. What does it not mean for a wife to submit? Wife, it does not mean that you are inferior to your husband. It does not mean that you are to be silent and have no opinion. And it does not mean that you do not have a life of your own. God has created you with talents, with abilities, to fulfill your destiny and your purpose that he has for your life as well. What does it look like for a wife to submit to her husband? When the couple is going to make a decision about where to live, where to work, how many kids to have, how to spend their money, any, any aspect of life, when a couple is to make a decision, it means that both parties input their thoughts, that they share how they feel about their, their, the, the way the decision should be made, but ultimately 
the husband, as the spiritual leader, is to make the final choice. It's his responsibility, and it's because he has been given that authority. It means that the wife's primary responsibility is to be a helper to the husband, one who comes alongside. And it also means that when it is done properly, Christ's love is on display through your life, wives. That you show Christ's love. I know what you want to ask, or maybe some of us do. Is it ever okay to not submit to your husband? What if my husband's a non-believer? Should I not submit to him? And the answer is no. You still submit to him. That's a tough thing to understand. And that's a tough thing that God would ask you to do. But even if your husband is an unbeliever, we still submit. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 tells us explicitly, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some of you do not obey the word, or even if, I'm sorry, even if some husbands do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. There is no greater witness for a husband who does not believe than a wife who humbly submits as unto the Lord. And so, even if your husband is non-believing, that's not an easy thing to do, but that's what God is asking you to do. Is it okay to not submit when my husband asks me to sin? answer there is yes. If your husband is asking you to go contrary to what God's word is, and you know that to be the case, then God is ultimately your, is your ultimate authority, and you submit your life to him. And if your husband is asking you to stray from what God would say, then yes, you may not submit to that. If he's leading you in a way that is contrary to God's word, then you are permitted to not submit. God is your ultimate authority. Is it okay not to submit if he is unfaithful? Yes, God permits divorce in the case of adultery. Uh, and then talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew chapter 7, I believe. Is it okay not to submit if I have a different opinion than my husband? No, it's not okay. God is giving you the opportunity to practice humility. Listen. It's easy to submit when the decision is going the way we want it to, right? <laughs> the test of submission comes when you disagree. And remember, if you're feeling a little pressure right now, wives, remember how this all began. We're all to submit to one another as unto the Lord. Okay? Why is this such a difficult thing for wives to do? Why is this such a difficult pill for so many wives to swallow? Because God said it would be. <laughs> God told us in Genesis chapter 3, at the fall of man, right after he creates Adam and Eve, that part of the curse that is given because they ate of the tree is that, uh, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, uh, and in your conception. In pain you shall bring forth your children. And listen, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The phrase there, your desire shall be for your husband, is not an attraction, but it's the idea that you desire the authority that your husband has been given. That's the idea, and that's why it's so difficult, because 
for us who live under the curse of Adam, you struggle with that. You want, you want to rise up and have the authority that your husband would have. How can I encourage you in this? Listen, God's word is not asking you to do anything that your Savior hasn't already done for you. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, God, if there be any way that this cup could pass from me, then let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And in that we see the ultimate submitting to the authority of the Father, the greatest example ever given. It cost him his life, but he still walked through it. Jesus, our God, is not asking you to do anything that your Savior has not already done for you. All right, wives, I'll ease up now. Let you breathe that in for a little bit. Think about coming back next week. It's not, I'm just the messenger. This is the word of God. Let's talk to the husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might, be, that he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing uh, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And then it goes back to Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So men... I'm speaking to men here where this is not a boy's opportunity. Boys don't marry. Men do. It's time to grow up. Back in that day, in the Hebrew day, uh, as a man was betrothed to a woman, you had a job. <laughs> and you built your home before the wedding. It's not, I think we're going to get married and live in mom and dad's basement. No. No grow up there are many there are many boys out there who can shave who still need to grow up okay it's this is you taking on your family this is you stepping into the role that God has created for you and what is the command to us as husbands love your wife agape the word there is agape the love is agape that means a self-sacrificing love. That's the word agape. It means, husbands, you care more about her than you care about yourself. And not just speaking it, but demonstrating it. It's you living it out day by day, placing her needs in front of your own, caring for and making sure that she has what she needs. How? In verse 25, it tells us, like Christ did for the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for her. He died for her. Husbands, you are to die for your wives. 
Does that mean physically die for my wife? Maybe. You go down with the ship, Captain. You're the head of the authority. You're the head of the household. And if the house is on fire and you have a choice between you and your wife, you get your wife out. You lay down your life if necessary. And the way that a, a true gentleman would lay down a coat over the, the puddle so that the, his wife, his, his woman could walk over it, we lay down our lives similarly. We are to die for our wives. Does that mean spiritually we die for our wives? No. Because you can't pour from an empty cup. So part of your responsibility as a godly husband is to make sure that you are prayed up, that you are filled up, that you have God's word inside of you, and that you are the spiritual leader of your household. That you are taking seriously your relationship with God, that you're plugged into Him, that you're charged by Him, so that you can pour into your wife, so that you can pour into your kids. So we don't die spiritually. Does that mean we die emotionally? Many of us guys would like to. I am very stoic. It's a frustration of my wife, she will tell you, if you ask her. Um, I, I don't show a ton of emotion, generally. It is a struggle for me to not die emotionally. I'd rather. But that's not what God is calling us to. In fact, I would say it's the opposite. We need to press into our emotions because many times that's where we meet our wife and we meet their need in us expressing our emotions with one another. Does that mean we are to die positionally? No, because we're called to lead. Husbands, you are the spiritual leaders of your household. Does that mean we are to die purposefully? The answer is yes. Our purpose becomes defined by love. It's caring about someone more than we care about ourselves. Therefore, we seek the betterment of our wives over and above ourselves. So how do we do that? What's one of the things that we would do as husbands, as godly husbands? It tells us by washing her with the water of the word. We need to create in our households a culture in which we lead our wives and our families spiritually. Husbands, pray with your wives. When I'm doing premarital counseling, that is one of the greatest things that I want to impress upon a man is to say, take up the habit of praying with your wife. Michelle and I started praying together every day about 150 days out from our marriage. The way we did that was we counted, that's, we wanted to know how many days it was until our marriage, so we started counting the Psalms, 150 Psalms, and so we started, did we read them backwards? I think we did, we started with Psalm 150 and went backwards. And so we knew how many days it was until our wedding. So we would read the Psalms and then we would pray together every night. And we've been married 20 years now. And while I can't say that we've prayed every single night, the majority of them we have. Um, probably 320 out of every year, somewhere in there. And it is my testimony to say that is the glue that has held us together. Come hell or high water, and we shared, I shared a little bit last week, but. We've gone through some crazy times in our lives. But prayer has been the strength. So incorporate, uh, we are to wash her uh, with the word. And so we create a culture in which we lead our wives and our family spiritually. We, that word, that verse always brings to mind an argument that Michelle and I got in once. Um, when we were in the uh, process of adoption, 
uh, and we went to meet with our social worker, and I can't remember where it was, but um, huh? Finley. And um, we were driving back from Finley, and it was a stressful time, and there was a lot of things going on, and I don't even remember what the argument was about, but we were arguing in the car over something. Um, and it got fairly heated. Uh, Michelle was crying, I was ready to, uh, and we were both screaming. And <laughs> it was pretty intense then. Um, and I remember saying, shouting, I'm supposed to wash you with the water of the word. <laughs> Throw, like throwing scripture like a spear. And she had the best retort I have ever heard. She goes, yeah, but not with a fire hose. <laughs> and it was quiet in the car for pretty much the rest of the ride home. <laughs> we are to wash our wives with the water of the word, but not with a fire hose, okay? We're not trying to get the weeds out of the cracks or anything like that with a power washer. It's, it's a gentle, it's, a, it's a, a caring, it's a comforting, it's a coming alongside, it's a pouring over washing, creating a culture in which you lead your wife and family spiritually. How else do we do that? We protect her, verse 27 will tell us, that we would elevate her without wrinkle or spot or blemish. What is wrinkle? What's a wrinkle? A wrinkle is something that's been pressed in a way that it shouldn't be. So we don't press our wives in a way that we shouldn't. We create a wrinkle without spot. We, we want to keep them from being stained by the world. And we would keep them pure and holy, without blemish, being scuffed and bruised by culture, that they would be holy, which means set apart. We are to love them, it tells us in verse 28 and 29, like we would love ourselves. Generally, guys, we're pretty good at figuring out that we need to feed ourselves, probably more than we should, right? But we love and cherish ourselves naturally, we take care of ourselves naturally. That's the idea is how we're to care for our wives. It's to be second nature. It's to be part of our who we are, part of our DNA, to place our wives' needs in front of our own. Why would we do that as godly husbands? Well, for the same reason that wives would do it. Because they're godly wives. Because Christ is our example. Christ is our example. Why would we do it? Because we're commanded to. This is not a suggestion, husbands. This is not, hey, if you want it to, you know, if you want things to go well, maybe you should try this. No, this is what we're to do. Why? Because it's a witness. And then the fourth reason we should do it is because we want things to go well, husbands. <laughs> you want a happy, healthy marriage? They will, wives will submit more readily to a husband who is leading godly. So you want things to go well with your wife? Then lead in a way that God would have you. And we also want things to go well with God. I've shared with you the scariest verse for a man in the scriptures before, right? At least for a husband. In my opinion, this is the scariest verse for me as a husband in all of scriptures. It's 1 Peter 3.7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together by the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
Husbands, you don't treat your wife well. God will say, that's my daughter. I'm not listening to you. Because you're not treating her well. I want God to listen to me. Always I want him to have his ear. And so I have to honor my wife. And I have to live by that. Joe Foch, one of my favorite commentators, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, he says this about walking daily as a godly husband. Today's filling of the Holy Spirit is not sufficient to be tomorrow's husband. Today's filling of the Holy Spirit is not sufficient to be a husband tomorrow. We need to go to Him, go to God daily, that we might lead our family well. So how does this all tie into church eight, or to, into the 860 verse? You've given us advice for husbands. You've given us advice for wives. What exactly, or how does this fit into that all the people of the earth may know the Lord is God, there is no other? How do we do marriage 860, Chris? Well, the next verse in Ephesians chapter 5 ties it together. In verse 32, it says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And herein lies the tie together. Herein lies where the 860 verse comes into play. Listen. Our biblical, godly marriages have a greater purpose than serving one another. Our biblical, godly marriages have a greater purpose than to simply care for one another. Our marriages are a reflection of the relationship between Christ and His bride, which is the church. Our relationships, our marriages, reflect the relationship of Christ and the church. Okay, if we, I was to sum up Ephesians chapter 5 and what we just read to wives and to husbands into two sentences, it would say, to the husband, die for your wife. And to the wife, live for your husband. Okay? If you were to take that, that's pretty much what Paul is saying. Husbands, die for your wives. Wives, live for your husbands. Well, Jesus died for his wife. We, as the bride of Christ, are to live for him. Our marriages are showing something greater. The relationship between Christ and his church. Listen, remember I told you to keep in mind the way that woman was formed? God took the rib of Adam. As the first Adam was broken to give life to Eve, the last Adam, who is Jesus, was broken to give life to his bride. As was demonstrated in creation of woman, Adam was broken, the rib was taken from him, to create Eve, so too Jesus was broken to give life to his bride. Therefore, to have an 860 marriage is to live out the God-ordained roles he's given us in order to reflect to the world around us the relationship of Jesus and the church. That's what it is to have an 860 marriage. That we would live out the God-ordained roles he's given us in order to reflect to the world around us the relationship of Jesus and the church. But Chris, our marriage is broken. And things aren't going well. 
Chris, my wife won't submit. She has her own will and her own way. Chris, my husband won't lead. Chris, you just wasted an hour of my time. I'm not married. Yes, today is full of practical application and things that we can incorporate into our marriage. But when we wash it in the gospel, that Jesus died, that we might have an opportunity to meet with him, we can apply that to our relationship with him. And all of us can then live out the role that he has created for us as the bride of Christ, so that the world around us, so that all the people of the earth may know there's a God who loves them, and a God who desires to meet them, and a God who went so far as to fulfill a husband's role to die for them. In the Hebrew marriage, when a man became betrothed to a woman, we would call it engagement today, but engagements are easily broken today. Betrothal in the Hebrew relationship was not something that was taken lightly. In fact, it was essentially being married without the, the formal relationship, the physical relationship. If you were betrothed to somebody, the only way to break that betrothal was by an actual divorce, a signing of a divorce. It was during the betrothal time that the man who was in the betrothal would have a job, that he would be out working his job, and he would be building the house in which they were going to live. Uh, a Hebrew marriage didn't set a marriage date. They didn't say, oh, we're going to get married December 19th, you know, or whatever, and, uh, and, and this year. They wouldn't set a date. They would build a house. And when the house was finished, they would have the wedding. And so, when Jesus says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you may also be, we're betrothed to him, and we're awaiting his return, that he would scoop us up and take us to his home, that he has prepared for us, that we may forever be with him. That's the, the, it's the fulfillment of the Hebrew wedding in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody track anything? I not say that well enough make sense. He'll carry us over the threshold and we will forever be with him. So, families, husbands, wives, those of you that are thinking about it, those of you that are not nowhere near it, we all have an opportunity to incorporate this into our own lives. That all the people here may know. And even if we aren't in a marriage relationship right now, we can hold sacred the, the, the sacrament of marriage to say, no, this is something that stands the test of time and is God-ordained, not government-ordained, and it, therefore government does not have the right to change what marriage is. The truth of what God says marriage is. So that's something we can all do practically as well. Amen? Amen. Making sense? Okay. Alright, so that's marriage 860. I think next week we'll just continue into Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll get to talk to the kids. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what does it look like to have a family in 60? Okay, that's what we'll, that's what we'll pick that up next week. Alright, let's stand, let's close in prayer.
God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you, Father, for um, giving us a model and defining how you want things to go, Lord. And I know we have relationships that are all over the board here. And we have difficult things right now, many of us. But you lay before us a way that is right. So if something has challenged us today, I pray that we would set our opinion aside and submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And I pray that we would make changes. I pray for the, the marriages in this room, that God, you would um, nourish them, flourish, that they would flourish, God. I pray for husbands, that they would be godly leaders in their household, dying for their wives and for their families, placing their families' needs in front of their own. I pray that wives would rise up to come alongside their husbands, that we would all walk in humility, God, and, and in fear of you. I pray, God, that you would um, use our families, use our marriages to reflect your glory, God. I pray that we might have joy in our relationships, Lord, that people might be encouraged by our marriages, God, that uh, we, when our co-workers come to us because they're hurting because of their relationships, we can point them towards you. I pray, God, that we would use our families and our marriages to reflect your glory, that all the people of the earth may know more of how much you love them. And I thank you for the ultimate marriage example of Jesus, you coming and dying for your bride, us, the church. And as you died for us, I pray that we would live for you. It's your kingdom, your glory, forever and ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.